Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 209. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 209 you're listening to. My guest today is Mike Stevens. Mike is a producer, engineer, and fantastic drummer. He is located in Hayward, California, operates out of his home studio. We're going to get into the details of Mike's story, how he balances audio and music recording life with being a dad who homeschools his kids. It's a very interesting story, and Mike's a great guy and very talented guy at that, so I look forward to bringing you that interview. So Mike Stevens coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, grab your coffee. I got a few things to tell you all about. First of all, I got to say thank you to uh, Nick Statina. Nick sent me a uh, package of coffee here. It's uh, coffee that is done in uh, conjunction with uh, the band Mastodon and Dark Matter Coffee. So the coffee is actually called Mastodon Crack the Sky, which is, of course, named after the uh, Mastodon record. If you uh, are into some pretty heavy music, you will know that. Very cool record, Crack the Sky. I want to say thanks to Nick for sending that out. I'm always appreciative of those who send coffee. So thank you, Nick. Happy holidays to you. Mm. All right. So, you know, I've been uh, talking a little bit about NAM 2019. That's going to be January 24th through the 27th, 2019. Anaheim, California. That's all always known as winter NAM. So that's coming up in about uh, 39 days or so as of uh, as of this recording. So in the past, you know, I've always kind of waited till the last minute to get ready for stuff like that. And uh, as I get older, it just it, I get faster at it, right? Or I plan better. So in the spirit of uh, kind of being more prepared, I've you know I've already got my Airbnb lined up. I've got my uh, airplane ticket purchased. I've applied for my press pass. Also, you know, the plan is is to do some interviews on the NAM floor, and I'm bringing a um, a GoPro Hero Session Seven just to keep it simple, so I don't have to worry about a you know a ginormous camera. And I'm also bringing uh, a new recorder, a uh, Sound Devices Mix Pre Six. I traditionally have relied on my Zoom H4n Pro, but this year I've decided I really want to step up my audio quality. And no disrespect to Zoom, those guys make great products, but Sound Devices just makes a uh, kick-ass recorder here in the Mix Pre 6. The Mix Pre series in general is just amazing. I'm really impressed. So what else? As I've mentioned, the uh, Working Class Audio Journal, which is a new book series, that's coming out. So, you know, we've got the podcast, we've got the Working Class Audio Journal, and working on just video offerings. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, uh, pay attention and, and Hopefully you'll uh, you'll see something sooner than later. We'll see how that uh, progresses. But I look forward to bringing you some uh, some good stuff. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet. 
easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, well, let's get to it. Mike Stevens here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Mike, welcome to the podcast. It's great to uh, have you on. It's been a while since I've seen you. I'm trying to remember how I originally met you, and I want to say it was via your wife. You know, it may have gone back a little farther than that. I did a session with you. You were engineering a session. I went in with Ben Bernstein at Pyramind. I think that's where we first initially met. It was very brief, and then... From there, we met again through through my wife, right. who's known you forever. You straddle two roles as engineer and drummer. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of take me back to what influenced you to get into music and audio? Well, I mean, music started way back when I was a kid. I, I was always drawn to the drums, but it wasn't until I was, you know, maybe nine years old and I, I stumbled across a, a Buddy Rich record um, in my parents' record collection. The basement was covered in dust and the cover kind of caught my eye for some reason. And I put it in and that was the instant that I actually fell in love with the drums. I, I saw what can be done with them. And it blew my mind because prior to that, it was it was just this very cool sort of rhythmic background thing. But 
for it to turn into a voice in the band in such a prominent way was was mind blowing. And obviously, Buddy Rich is a technical master and is you know like the Bruce Lee of the drums. So just the force and the power and the speed that he has is is enough to send a kid bouncing off the walls. And I started recording shortly after that, not studio style recording, but I really, as a kid, messed around with tape recorders and microphones and sort of overdubbing on a stereo cassette by using one channel for one track and then the other channel for the other. So I had this old Radio Shack tape player that had stereo mic inputs and the Buddy Rich thing really, really got me going. And I, I loved recording. I have a, a tape of me actually jamming along to a Buddy Rich record. It might be that same one. And the needle actually picked up my playing, right? The needle on the record, I was dubbing the vinyl to a cassette and I was jamming along while it was happening. And the record player was right next to my drums. And you can hear very faintly in the breaks, me carrying on and, and trying to do my, my Buddy Rich chop. So, and then I kind of started recording out of necessity, right? Like in the, in the 90s, it was starting to come into the consumer market a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. with, with PCs being able to record. I used this, this free software called N-Track for a while to record some of my band's first albums. And it was a multi-track program and it was very, very basic. It was kind of like the equivalent of like what Craigslist looks like as, as a website, right? It was just very bare and simple. And if you wanted to put reverb on a track, you'd have to let it run overnight. <laughs> and and if you didn't like the reverb on the track, you'd have to undo it because it was, it was all destructive effects at that stage. So I've always been tinkering. I'm like, I'm a tinkerer. I like messing with technology and electronics and getting into music. I really gravitated towards recording early on. And it wasn't until 10 years ago or so that I had this idea that it's actually something that I could do for other people as well, mm -hmm. instead of just my own, my own projects or, you know, recording pre-production stuff with, with my bands before we go into the studio. And I really got into working with artists and being a part of that magic that everybody's trying to make just being in the room when people are trying to get in that zone to create that that awesomeness that they want to capture so that's i guess the long story of of your question you know now focusing more on the audio at what point did uh did it become a professional venture and money started to get involved and and in investing in in recording gear and such probably somewhere around 20 years ago is when I started investing in recording gear, minimally at least. You know, I, I would buy microphones that I would feel the purchase a little bit. They weren't great microphones, but you know, a few hundred dollars on a mic for a drummer <laughs> was was a significant purchase. I'd, I'd have to consider what I wanted to spend that money on. And so I started collecting stuff and over the years have been swapping things out as I, you know, work more and, and earn more and have a little bit more liquid finances to to replace some of that very basic stuff with things a little bit nicer. And it's still going on. <laughs> I'm still buying stuff all the time, it feels like. Uh, but yeah, probably about 20 years ago is when I started purchasing. And when it started to become a profession, it was about 10 years ago. Hmm. You know, I was working a lot as a drummer and I was feeling a bit burnt out from gigging five nights a week and schlepping my drums and I mean, sometimes it would be a rehearsal with one band and then off to a gig with another. And I'd done that for a while and it was going okay. I was working as much as I wanted to, but I was really feeling the burn. I was really starting to feel depleted. And 
you know, it felt like a little bit of a, of a struggle to establish my value to band leaders as a performer. Hmm. You know, if they're, they're playing at a dive bar down the street, sometimes it is hard for them to justify paying me for my time to be there. And I get it if they're not making a whole lot. One thing that I noticed, though, is that artists really had an easier time putting value on their recordings than they did on their performances. You know, even more so putting their budget towards an engineer in a studio as opposed to a band a lot of the times. And I had always been messing around with it. I was comfortable with Pro Tools and was able to get some pretty good tracking quality, even in not great spaces. And I wanted to see what would happen if I spent more time focusing on that. And mm. I really started getting into recording other folks. So I put some Craigslist ads up and I threw a website together and it started happening pretty quickly. I was offering a pretty fair uh, rate for where I was at, I think, and people saw value in that. And I was able to get pretty busy pretty quick, which didn't make me a lot of money at what I was charging, but it, it did give me a lot of practice and a lot of experience doing things that I wasn't normally doing when I would record. I would record a lot of drums, you know, as a drummer pr prior to that, but really opening it up to do more stuff. I got to learn about recording other instruments as well and, and the other things that go along with capturing a performance, which is probably one of the most fascinating things to me about the recording process is the sort of headspace that the performers are in and the, what's coming out of them and the, the truth behind it, you know? So that really pulled me in even more. And since then, I don't take anything and everything that comes my way now because I'm a, I homeschool my kids during the week when my wife's at work and my energy is limited. So I can't just grind the way that I used to, but I, but I do get to be a little bit more selective and, and gravitate towards things that I feel like I can contribute to or, you know, can, can have a positive impact on instead of just the guy who's pushing the buttons with the microphone because... You know, anybody could really do that. I think it's probably easier to make records than it is to homeschool kids. Sometimes I would agree, you know, <laughs> it depends. But um, I've definitely had some hard records to make. But the homeschooling is a challenge for sure. It's nice to go to work sometimes. We both live in California. And so I know that California has a curriculum uh, for parents, if I'm correct, if that's still the case for those that uh, homeschool their kids. Is that right? Um, there are so many resources in California. I, I find California a great state to homeschool in. There are tons of resources. There's a huge community. There's a lot of options for how you go about it. And it, it gives a lot of freedom to the parents to decide the path and even the curriculum to a certain extent. I'm actually really enjoying it. It's hard. And there are days when, you know, I feel like my head's going to explode, like just because it's, it's full on, you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's morning to night. And, you know, usually when my wife gets home is when I go to work, you know, after dinner or something like that during the week and, and on the weekends. And a lot of times I feel like I've already been awake for three days, you know, at, at the end of it. And there's two kids, one's four and one's seven. So they have different interests and I'm kind of trying to split myself between the two of them all day long. I greatly admire you for doing that because uh, if I needed to do it, I, I, I could step up and do it, but I, I choose not to. I, I think being a teacher for 
elementary school level children or any children for that matter. Those people deserve sainthood, in my opinion. Yeah. I think about audio constantly, and maybe it's a selfish thing. You know, maybe maybe that's what what it is. Is that you're able to put your needs aside and focus on your kids to do that, which is the ultimate smart dad thing to do. How do you balance your time between that homeschooling aspect, which I know you probably take very seriously, and not only the jobs you do, but the aspirations you have? It's an everyday struggle. <laughs> to be honest, it's, it's something that I have to keep my eye on. It's something that I have to make some effort to do. The homeschool aspect and the dad aspect is pretty easy. It's where I'm at. It's, it's not an option. When I'm home with my kids, I'm, I'm their facilitator. You know, we do other things, but I'm the one making it all happen and, and kind of guiding the train. And at the end of the day, it's sometimes hard for me to take time for myself. Sometimes I don't want to go listen to songs in the studio after I've been, you know, dealing with the kids or, or listening to kids' songs all day long. Or sometimes I just want to like rest and chill my ears. I think it's important that I get out of the house. They have some time away from me, <laughs> for starters. Um, <laughs> and I have some time away from them. And I love, I think about audio all the time as well. And I love, I love it. I love all the aspects of it. It's, it's one of, music is one of the things I feel like I have spent all my life getting to know and continue to. It's one of the only things I know. I've done so many different jobs, but this is the one that I have always felt most at home at, whether I'm on the drum set or behind the, the DAW. It's just, it's where, it's where I feel like I belong. It's where I feel natural. And so in a lot of ways, it's this sort of healing aspect too. It, it can rejuvenate me when I can get myself to do it, to even just go out to my garage and, and bang on the drums for a little while and sort of let my mind go blank and ride that wave, right? That, that music wave of just sort of improvising and letting things come. And it's like speaking, if you, if you know a foreign language, it's like, you know, in some ways, like speaking with somebody who natively speaks that language, it feels good to exercise that. And it does replenish me and, you know, 30 minutes on the drums or, you know, an, an hour sitting at Pro Tools can oftentimes turn what's ended up being a pretty crappy day into something that feels a lot better. It's a necessity that I do it. I'm not always awesome at it, but I try every day to try and give myself a little bit of balance because it's really easy, as I'm sure you know, to get sucked into that dad hole where it's just like, <laughs> you know, the kids, the kids need you. They have questions. They're fun to be around sometimes. <laughs> you know, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the, the marriage aspect too, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of needs to manage. And for me, work, and I feel so lucky to be able to say this, work can be my release a lot of the time. And that's what keeps me here. I think that's what keeps me in the field is that it's medicine <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, for me. definitely is. You've got your musical clients that you play drums with, mm -hmm. and then you have audio clients. Do the majority of your audio clients come as a result of playing drums with people? Um, I wouldn't say a majority of them, but there is a lot of cross-pollination happening there. Some folks will come into my studio because they get a drummer and an engineer in a studio all in one go. Other folks will come in because they know me through drumming and they know that I have the setup and we rehearse in my studio. And 
my studio's modest, and a lot of times I do a lot of drumming work at other fancier studios. People have the budget for that sort of thing, which is also nice because I don't have to engineer when I go to those studios, which is a lot harder to double duty when there's a control room and a live room and you got to bounce back and forth. And at least here, I'm all in one room. I know the space. I can control my rig really easily from my drums. And if I need to hop up and move something, it's you know a matter of feet or inches away from me. There's cross-pollination. I think at the beginning, it was a lot of folks that I was playing drums with that, mm -hmm. that were coming through. Um, but I also, because I was just wanted to work as much as I could at the beginning, I got a lot of different stuff. I ended up recording so much hip hop in the early days because I had this really affordable hourly rate. I had no minimum. And I would get these MCs coming in just like wanting to do an hour session for their song. It was interesting. It's stuff that I probably would never have gravitated towards. And some of those folks I ended up doing drums for as well, even on some of the hip hop stuff. And it crosses over all the time. And at this point, I'm not totally sure what most of my, my clients currently are, because a lot of them are, are I've known for a while now. They're repeat folks who come back. And, you know, I've kind of over the last couple of years have laid off on the gigging a little bit just because it's hard to come home from a club at three in the morning and have a six o'clock pancake breakfast for the kids the next day and start to homeschool right you know it doesn't really put me off on my best foot early in the morning <laughs> if i if i got home late from a gig um so i'm a little bit more selective about those things and i i like to play out but i try and keep it at like a couple times a month now as opposed to several times a week it lets me be home more it lets me be with my kids more and it lets me focus on the studio a little bit more and the gigs are awesome too but it's it's sometimes a grind you know it's sometimes an eight hour shift oh. for a 45 minute set so your studio is on your property there yeah and it's it's in a uh, is it in a separate building or is it in the house yeah, it's a detached one-car garage that when we moved in was just bare inside. It, it had no interior walls or anything like that, which was great because I was able to insulate it and isolate it a lot better than I'd be able to if it was already finished and I was just operating out of it like that. So I was able to get new electrical run before I did the construction and make sure all of that was sorted out. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a previous one-car garage that I've sealed up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have an air conditioner in there that causes a little bit of a leak, but I can drum, you know, until 10 o'clock at night and not have any neighbors complaining. And, you know, I can be here all night long if I want to, if I'm working on a mix or, or something or some editing or something like that. Uh, so it's nice in some ways to be able to go out my door and, and be at work. And then other ways there's like, there might be like weeks where I'm just like, oh crap, I haven't left my house. I haven't like left my property. <laughs> There's there's people. There's a world out there. I know there's a whole world out there. <laughs> is this a place you rent or is this a place you guys own? It's a place that we rent. How did you manage to get electrical or, or do all this work on the garage? So I was really lucky because the landlord, the owner of this place, is the person that we rented it from. They weren't they don't have a rental agency or anything like that. So it was very sort of personal connection. My wife was pregnant with her first child when we were checking this place out. We really just kind of hit it off with the owners. And when I explained to them what I wanted to do in the garage, they actually offered to run the electrical for me because the electrical that was there was basically a buried extension cord <laughs> that like popped through the wall of the garage, you know, coming from the house underground into the garage with like literally the three 
outlet thing hanging out of the wall. And I didn't realize that at first. And so she had mentioned that that might not be great for my equipment. I agreed. And she said that that she would send her electrician over to to do it up how I need it, which was awesome. She also offered to go in on me for the interior materials as well, since most of it would be staying if we ever left. It was actually, it was great. It's kind of a win-win there because at some point down the line, you know, when and if you all leave, the owner has electrical and an interior done in a garage mm -hmm. space that brings value to them. So right. it's not that crazy of a concept. Right, right. And, you know, they certainly didn't have to, you know, throw down for that, but they did. And it was, it was great because at the time, I mean, I was freaking out. We had a kid on the way. We had just moved into this new place that was more expensive than the last place. And I'm, I'm just scrapping to make money as a, as a musician and an engineer at that point. So, and my wife's about to go out of work for maternity leave. And I was, I mean, I was sweating it. So it was great that they were willing to do that. And I was really able to get up and running here super fast because of that. You know, we've talked a little bit about the work-life mm -hmm. balance with the kids and such. So what is your focus with the studio? I mean, as you're homeschooling the kids, I'm sure in the back of your mind, there's times where you're spacing out and thinking about the studio and mm -hmm. possibly thinking about how to bring in more business. Well, you know, I had this sort of realization a few years ago I, I was touring for a while and i was gone a lot and i kind of i left that world and i kind of had this realization that i needed to to bring my love of music back closer to me it was becoming this sort of job right that was something that i could do and it was it was fairly easy for me to do and i wasn't enjoying it as much as i had previously enjoyed it so now my my focus is really not so much about bringing in more business, especially with my dad duties uh, on the flip side. You know, I, I don't necessarily try to bring in more business, but my goals are how do I, how do I connect with, with people that I can make great music with? How can I contribute to somebody else's brainchild and help them achieve what they want? And it's really increasingly more important to me that, that the relationships that I engage in in the studio are sort of mutually beneficial. Mm. I can't guarantee that what I'm outputting is something that I'll be proud of if it's something that I'm resentful of doing, or if it's something that I don't have a certain gel of a process with the artist. And I think the thing that I realized is that I would previously crank out so much work, and then I would look back at it and be like, well, what of this stuff do I wanna show? What do I want to show from this? And, and I kind of realized that I had diluted my work so much that I never really felt proud about any of it in this way. And I wanted to feel proud about my work again. And it wasn't that the work was bad and it wasn't that the clients were unhappy because everybody seemed happy and everybody's coming back and we're doing stuff. But when home recording really started getting a hold in the industry, people talked about how it's the death of, of recorded music because now there's no craft in it or there's just these people sitting in their closets kind of making their songs and nobody's focusing about on the audio quality or or you know the the skills that engineers have to create these illusions that we create of, of, a, of a song i've always had this feeling that that's not what it's breaking what it's breaking is the authenticity of the performance hmm. because if you can do a hundred takes of something doesn't mean that your performance will be more authentic. In fact, in my experience, 
it leans more towards less authentic the more you kind of dive into it. So if you're an artist and, and you go buy a laptop and you get a audio interface and a microphone and you sit down and you make your record, I have a lot of the folks who do this come into me with their garage band sessions, not happy with what they're getting. And we can shine it up and mix it up and make it sound more presentable, but they're still kind of like, hmm, I don't know. And then we might sit down and do like redo the vocals. We might do, spend a session kind of really trying to capture a compelling vocal performance. And sometimes that can make all of the difference. And a lot of times it might, there might be things that an artist would scrap that they would ditch because it's not what they meant to do, but, it, but it, it's one of those happy accidents that creates this connection in mm -hmm. the performance. And, and I think that if home recording is threatening anything, it's, it's threatening that. It's really easy to ditch an otherwise great take that would pull somebody in to the song because it wasn't perfect. So it's less about getting more and, and it's more about getting quality and getting artists that you really connect with. Yeah. I mean, for me at this point, just because I feel like my my time is so limited and, and what I what I have left after a day of homeschooling or a week of homeschooling is, is limited that I, I, I want to give it to people that can benefit from it the most. I, I want to I help people get those takes. I want to help people who want those takes get those takes, more importantly. I want people to be able to make music that their listeners can connect with, not something that they can call perfect. It's not everybody's way. It's not, it's not a process that jives with everybody, and that's totally cool. But that's really what I'm kind of my head focuses on a lot these days is bringing those kinds of relationships into the studio and into my existence. It feels great to do that kind of work. You know, when you're in there with somebody that you click with and you guys are cranking through a session and stuff's getting laid down and, and you can hear it. You can hear the band just open heart straight, straight out to the microphones. And there's no tripping about this is going to be forever or, or this drum fill has to be exactly perfect the way Dave Grohl did it or, or like that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? Like that stuff and it happens and, I, and, I, and I'm sure you experience this as well. And, and those kinds of sessions for me, they're harder than homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I see where you're going with that. It's interesting. I wonder if because you spend a large chunk of your day with your kids that you have developed a deeper appreciation for the time you spend with adults, especially in the studio where you can be adults, but you could still, you could be creative. And it's a, it's a different experience, especially if you spend all day with kids. It's a different experience. A lot of times, you know, I refer to it as my like sanity time where I get to go out and, and actually use real language with like real people who understand <laughs> You know what I'm talking you about. You can use your big words. <laughs> right, I can use my big boy words. There is a, a greater appreciation for it. And, you know, I got to say, in regards to this whole authenticity thing, the, the kids are a really great teacher to me about what that means, what authenticity is, because it's it's kind of how they live by default at this stage in their lives anyway. They haven't mm. been... They haven't been beaten down by society so hard that they're in submission yet entirely. You know, they they have this direct connection to being authentic, even though sometimes for me it's very frustrating the way that they're being authentic. I can still appreciate it for what it is. And I see how that mindset brings 
more joy into their experience in other aspects as well. They're teaching me, I think, maybe even more than I'm teaching them in a lot of respects. And they, they contribute a lot to my approach in the studio and my thoughts about kind of where I want this to go from here. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. What about the decision-making process for you in buying equipment, knowing that you know, you're not running a studio that is cranking out sessions 24 hours a day. It's, it's more of, it seems like it's more of a production studio where people come to work on projects, but it's not like you're not running like a hotel here. Right. It's not like a commercial studio. Right. Um, There's not a constant flow of stuff coming through just because people are wanting to come to the studio. Um, Not at all. Where, do you draw the line on the gear? How do you make your decisions? You know, a big part of what I want to do with my studio is make it affordable to make great records that the artist is proud of. And a big part of that is me not going overboard on my Sweetwater card. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's a big part of it. I mean, it drives my wife crazy when I'm when I'm looking for new gear because I'm I'm very logical about it. I I weigh things out a lot. I don't I don't necessarily take the purchase lightly just because you know it's something that I that I have to see really a, a sound quality or color change coming from in a direction that I that I like to go with with the sound. It's never really for me about uh, you know I want to hang that mic in front of the vocalist that's going to make them feel like they're singing into diamonds because they can't afford to pay me what it would cost to come in here, if that were the case. So I I like to keep the gear at a relatively modest spending level. You know, I recently bought this this desk that I struggled on for so long, man. I was just like, I don't want to spend this money on a freaking desk. Like I could 
I could buy a few nice mics with that money, you know, but I was really getting hurt, hunched over this little <laughs> thing that I was working on. And I had all my stuff sort of scattered around in piles, all my, my equipment and different road cases stacked up on drums. And it was not very efficient. And my wife was the voice of reason. It took her a few years to break me down on this, but you know, I was having neck problems and back and shoulder problems. And she was like, you know, you need to, to do something about the ergonomics of your setup. So I found something that, that seemed like it would work and it would fit in my pretty tight space and give me some room to grow. And so I went for it and it's, it's probably one of the purchases that I resisted for as long as I possibly could, because I could think of so many other things to spend the money on for the studio. But again, in this sort of self-care struggle that <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm always on, it was part of that. And it was something, it was, it's worth it to have a comfortable setup that I can sit at because, you know, sessions are long and I get stuck in the chair for a long time, man. You know, like I can, I can be there, especially if it's a tracking session. I can be in a chair for five hours before I get up, before I realize it's been five hours. Like I just kind of, my brain gets lost in the task. I forget to eat or, or something like that. And, and uh, it's, it's actually been nice to have a comfortable place to sit instead of, you know, a, a dinner cart with a lap, with a computer screen on it and, and me hunched on a drum throne, you know, for... 10 hours. When you say you drive your wife crazy, is that because of your decision-making process of drawing yeah. it out? Does she just like, if you're going to buy it, buy it? Yeah. Yeah. She's totally supportive about the purchases. In fact, I'd probably spend twice as much money if, if I just went with the, with her thing of just buy it already. <laughs> right. But I'm like, no, I don't want to just buy it already. I want to make, make sure this is what I want to spend this money on because I don't want to be in a huge amount of debt in a studio that my whole aim is to make music affordably for people and make nice sounding recordings that isn't going to cost them 30 grand for their album. Yeah. And those projects are awesome too. I do a lot of those mostly as a drummer and I, you know, I love going to Hyde Street and I love going to Fantasy and I love I love those studios and I I've learned so much from the engineers in those studios just being in on those sessions. You yeah, know, not even not even pestering them about stuff, just being a fly on the wall and and watching what they do and sitting in there when they're getting a vocal tone and and stuff like that is um, has always been great. Um, but here it's been about making it affordable for people because I think there's a value to having an outside perspective, so you don't accidentally delete that awesome happy accident and replace it with something sterile. Where do you draw the line on affordability? Do you s just have set rates or, or is everything constantly negotiable? I'm negotiable to a certain extent. I have an hourly rate that I basically throw out. And, and most of what I do, if there's a client in the room, I, I do hourly. That helps me keep it affordable for them, but also fair to me. Mm -hmm. If somebody just wants me to mix their song and they have no interest and, and they're like, there's nothing I can bring to the process. I, I'll just leave you alone and do it. A lot of times then I'll do a flat rate. Okay. I might want to spend a little extra time for something that I want to try on their mix or, or something like that. If they're giving me free reign on it, the process itself, especially if I'm into it, I don't necessarily mind if I'm taking a little bit of a hit on the hourly rate side of things. Um, especially since I can move at my own pace. You know, it's hard sometimes to mix when the client's sitting behind you and you're you're trying to to deal with one instrument and they're hearing things that they don't like in another. And 
I try to be really patient about that stuff. I get it. You know, it's, it's all perspective, right? It's nobody's ever listening to the exact same thing at the exact same time in, in a song, especially when you're the one, one of the people who are on the recording, right? It's usually <laughs> your performance that you're honing in on. Like, oh, shit, I hate that. When somebody wants to sit in on the mix session, I say, cool, we'll just do that hourly. You know, I'll, I'll really, I'll, I'll do my thing but I'll let them kind of guide the process a little bit. Uh, you know, I'll, when they're happy, I'm not going to make them spend another five hours on it. And, I, and I've learned to kind of get to things quickly early on in the mix if I'm going down that road with someone. It's hard to keep things organized in my brain all the time. So I, I kind of have developed this process where I can, where I can, I feel like I can do what I need to do while they're there saying what they feel like they need to say. And yeah. Um, sometimes kind of derailing the process a little bit, but um, I, I do find that that helps keep it a little bit more affordable for them. The bonus is that if if they if they don't want to be in the room, it's even easier and cheaper, most likely. As they do, the kids grow, so mm -hmm. you're not always going to be homeschooling. So where do you see yourself in uh, five to ten years with all of this? I would love to keep doing what I'm doing. I, th I think I'll always have a studio that is easy for me to access on my property where I can play my drums, I can do recordings, I can work on edits and mixes and, and all of that. But, you know, one of the things that I, that I kind of see myself wanting to move towards is getting out of this studio a little bit more and, and tinkering around in some other places. That is something that seems very interesting to me because I've, it's been about almost 10 years that I've been operating out of here on the engineering side of things. I never went to school for it. I learned a lot just from people who are already good at it, you know, that I've come in contact with um, and, and making my own mistakes and watching YouTube videos and all that stuff, trying to take in as much as I can. And I feel sometimes like, you know, I, I know my room really well and I know my gear really well. And it would be a nice challenge to like get thrown into a different environment and see what happens in a situation like that. I've never worked with tape. It's something that I know is fading fast and it's something I'm, I've always been interested in. So, you know, things like that kind of moving out of my own little bubble of a studio here and kind of checking some other spots out and operating out of my comfort zone. I feel like that always brings me some gains that I'm thankful for after the fact, when I step out of that comfort zone. Being that you homeschool, you could live anywhere in California, really. And once the homeschooling's done, you don't necessarily have to live in California once the kids are, you know, out of the house. So mm -hmm. do you ever see yourself living in another part of the United States, another part of the world? Absolutely. We have a house in Connecticut that is in the neighborhood where I grew up. And, you know, there is a, a plan in the future to to end up there because the cost of living is is very low in that part of the country maybe not even just there there are even other places that are that are less expensive uh to live but you know right now we have we have this place there and we're getting ready to rent it out to some folks so it'll be like a nice little source of income and give us a a place to go after california because i do think that Keeping my costs down is what allowed me to stay in this through some of the hardest times. Keeping my rent low, 
keeping my debt low, keeping, you know, my living expenses as low as possible made it so that eight drum students and a handful of gigs and a few sessions here and there can cover it. It's just easier when it's cheaper. <laughs> you don't have to hustle so hard. It's, it is really interesting. I mean, you know, we don't have to carry debt and huge amounts of, of overhead to be audio professionals. So it makes it easier for our clients when we don't. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there there is that balance too. I think, you know, certain clients expect a certain level and want to pay for that. And mm-hmm. that's great. And other clients, you know, just want a functional place. Would mm-hmm. you, how would you qualify your studio? Is it, is it a functional place? It's a functional place. It's, it's a functional place first, I think. It's always kind of been the goal. You know, I have a couple of guitars, I have a bass, I have a keyboard, I have drums, I have piles and piles of percussion. Um, and, and I have enough equipment to record a full band in here. And a lot of times do even live in the one room. But it's also a really great place for like a singer songwriter to come. And this mm-hmm. is, was kind of always my goal with it really is that, you know, a singer songwriter can come in with their guitar and their song and we can make it a thing in here, just two of us. And it doesn't always go down that it's just me and the songwriter, but, but it's nice to have such a functional place that when it is that way, mm-hmm. we have everything that we need and it's like right there. Although, you know, with that, I've got a collection of microphones and, you know, I think, you know, maybe my most expensive mic is a thousand bucks and, and, you know, I have some preamps and, you know, I don't have any like vintage Neve stuff or, or anything like that. But like I said, if I did, then I don't even know if I could charge enough to get people to come in to cover those costs. You yeah. know, I, you know, I, I love the crusty old gear. I love it. Well, and I think uh, I remember when you were trying to hunt down a, a Pro Tools HD rig. Uh, if I recall correctly, you were able to score uh, a system for relatively cheap because you know everybody wanted to move to you know Pro Tools eleven and twelve and HDX, and you managed to score some stuff for not very much money. You know, it's crazy, man. Stuff when it becomes when it's considered obsolete. Things that cost such an insane amount of money are kind of like a burden for the owner of them, you know? And I I was given a 32-channel, what was it? I think it was a Tascam console from like 1975. And the guy was just like, if you take it out of here, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was blown. And I went to go pick it up. And he's like, yeah, man, I got this, I got this, uh, four track tape machine it needs a little bit of repair but if you can take it it's yours and it was like it's crazy to me you know that that console was probably like 50 grand in 1975 Hmm. (laughs) you know like and and the tape machine i don't know i ended up i ended up handing that off to to somebody who could actually get it running and working um and they still use it now but uh it's it's amazing and and the the hd rig was kind of a similar thing a a buddy of mine had upgraded his stuff and he had just gone through a a huge pro tools upgrade and he kind of had this old stuff kicking around and and we were kind of passing some projects like i was i was tracking some stuff that i was sending to him to mix and and he's like you know man i got this i got this hd set up that you should totally just you should take it i'm not even using it and I had to, I had to, 
you know, buy a, some core cards to put in my, my more modern 2009 Mac than what he had with his system. I think he was on like a G5 tower or something like that. So I had to, I had to get the different cards for it to work, but it was really affordable. But, you know, I always joke that I, I have to stay kind of 10 years behind to keep it affordable for for folks because you know if i if i were to replace my whole thing today if i wanted to upgrade to pro tools 12 i I would need a new computer i would need a new interface i would need new pro tools cost and that stuff just racks up so fast so fast and and my whole thing is that if, if this stuff was good enough to be making hit records on 10 years ago it's certainly good enough for a singer songwriter to come in at a value and and like knock out their ep you know, it's not really about the gear anyway. I feel like if if the artist has that that open conduit to their expression, I we could record it on an iPhone and and people are going to love it or going to love it. That may be a bit of an extreme example, but I do think there's a lot of truth. I, I do think there's a lot of truth to that because if somebody loves an artist and they love and the song speaks to them, very rarely, unless they're uh, an engineer. Or an audiophile of some kind, do they care about the quality? Very rarely, um, and that and that's maybe a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe it's a bad thing for us, and maybe it's a great thing for artists who can connect with their instrument to their audience. Mike, it's been great to chat with you. Uh, glad to uh, see that you're having such a, a good time, not only with your kids, but really kind of finding satisfaction in uh, the artists that you work with and. Uh, and seeing that you're continuing on as not only as an engineer, but also uh, as a drummer playing on other people's stuff. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. This is awesome. It was fun chatting with you. Well, great to have you on and I will uh, see you when I see you. Awesome, Matt. Thank you. Okay. Take care. All right. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Mike Stevens here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. And as usual, a reminder to come on by and visit workingclassaudio.com. You got to thank our friend, Mr. Cliff Truesdell for the Working Class Audio theme music and the wonderful Chuck Smith for his lovely voice. And until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio... This is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show, 
on Gearspace.com. So check that out. 